This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a work and collaborative space built for change makers. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join The Riveter's movement for women and allies to succeed. There is a freedom that comes from really knowing yourself more and speaking your truth more freely. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Lara Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul without turning your life upside down. Today, I'm talking to Stephanie Ellis. Stephanie is Director of Marketing Communications for Girl Scouts of Western Washington. She's also a self-described storyteller, idea architect, and word magician through her successful freelance writing career with articles published in the Seattle Times, Northwest Travel and Life Magazine, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and Paste Magazine. Stephanie and I share a love of food and a passion for empowering women and girls to shine in the way that only they can shine. Thank you so much for being here, Stephanie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. First of all, just because you're awesome. Um, and <laughs> as I said, because we share these two really powerful loves, um, which I didn't even know when we first met. You know, I, I yeah. met, um, met you um, through a mutual friend, but, you know, knew you first as a, a Girl Scouts um, uh, professional and, and second as a, as a food writer. So yeah, actually, so can you tell everyone a little bit about your work both at Girl Scouts and as a, a freelance um, writer as well? Yeah, no. So I've been at Girl Scouts of Western Washington for nine years. Um, I came to Seattle from St. Louis just for this job because the minute I saw the job posting, I was like, okay, there's no other job for me. This is it. And I've worn three different hats. I started out as a writing specialist. And then um, my boss and our CEO at the time saw a spark in me I didn't see. And they are the ones who really uh, motivated me to step outside my perceptions that that I had about my own abilities. And that led to me being PR director getting into a career I, I never imagined for myself because I'm an introvert. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but turns out you can do it both. You can, you can fake it and um, still be who you really are at the core. And it, that's changed my life. It, it completely changed my career trajectory. And now I lead the marketing team um, as the director of marketing and communication. So I still wear that PR hat, but I also get to, really think about how we share our story with with the world. Yeah. And that's pretty exciting. So. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. And there's so many awesome things that you just said that I want to ask you about. Like, like, the, <laughs> like I have so many things going through my head. What I'm curious, you said that, first of all, that when you saw the job at Girl Scouts that you were like, oh my gosh, this is the job for me. What, tell me about that. What was, what was going on for you with that? Well, and I'll tell you, I, I don't really tell this story to too many people, but I feel like it, it should be shared because we all have those times in our lives where somebody tells us something that may not be true whatsoever, but we believe 
them Mm -hmm. and we carry that with us, right? So I worked in corporate America a long time ago and I had a boss who kind of kept me from doing what I loved, which was engaging with with people that, you know, we were working with. And I remember once we were at a, a press event and we were giving somebody a check, but they were having a party for us. And we had flown all the way from St. Louis to Boston. And he said, okay, Stephanie, now we're going to be in and out of there in two minutes. We're going to hand them the check, smile for a picture and leave. And I said, no, 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 no. Wait, they're having a party for us and we don't have to be at the airport for seven hours. And he looked at me, Stephanie, two minutes. Hmm. And it was so devastating because I had forged relationships with these folks for six Mm -hmm. months. And I had to leave and lie. Yeah. And we were in the car ride going back to the airport and I was almost in tears looking out the window and he turned to me and he says, Stephanie, you'll never make it in my world. You've got too much heart. Wow. <laughs> and I oh was my like, goodness. I, I was 23 and suddenly I didn't know much about the world. And I thought, Oh, I'm in big trouble. Yeah. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be able to use my heart. I have to close it down. And so flash forward, you know, another decade and I see this job posting and the words echoed throughout the whole posting heart, heart, heart. Oh my goodness. You know, it just was like, Oh my gosh, I felt free for the first time ever that, you know, I realized he was wrong and I let him, you know, sort of guide my, my thinking. And I realized that there are so many opportunities to use your heart to make a difference in the world. And that can be for your day job too, turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is, that's such a powerful just reminder that, yeah, like it's so often that we let outside expectations like affect the choices that we make, whether it's, yeah, in our career or in the way we take care of ourselves or in the way we take care of our family or whatever, like in all areas of our life. I love that. Oh my goodness. So, well, and, (laughs) and tell me about, so it sounds like when you got there, so not only was it an opportunity for you to you know, use your heart in your work, but it also sounds like when you got there, you had a really powerful mentorship experience in terms of helping you shine. Tell me about that. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, we, there are absolutely men who work at Girl Scouts and they're amazing, but it is primarily a female um, work environment. And so I've had some really strong female role models um, especially my boss, who I've been with for nine years. And then that, like I said, that CEO who she said something really powerful to me one day that she was like, we need you to go on TV to talk about Girl Fest, which was a big event we put on. I was really passionate about it, but I was working behind the scenes. And she's like, we need you to go on TV to tell everyone about it. I said, oh, no, I can't do that. And she said, yes, you can. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm shy. And she looked at me and she said, I challenge you to look again, because maybe the person you really are isn't the person you're telling yourself that you are. Mm. And so I was like, whoa, that that was pretty deep. And so, you know, I I decided I was going to prove her wrong. And turns out I didn't. I proved (laughs) her right. And I, and I learned something about myself, um, And then my boss has just been the most phenomenal mentor you could ever ask for. She has challenged me 
She has inspired me. She's given me incredible criticism and feedback that's really helped my career. Mm-hmm. And she has let me take chances. Like she's believed in some of my harebrained ideas and said, <laughs> you know, I don't know what that would look like, but try it out and let's see. And that's led to some of my you know, biggest successes here at Girl Scouts where we can really push the dial for how people see us. So, you know, like not being afraid to be quirky and creative and innovative and really step outside the box. And um, one of my favorite examples is we partnered with Seattle Humane and we did the first ever Girl Scout cookie inspired dog cookie recipe contest. So you had to make (laughs) cookies that your dogs could eat, but were inspired by our cookies. And we did a photo shoot with dogs and girls and the dogs wore sashes and they were quote unquote the, the Girl Scouts selling to other dogs for four barks a box. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> it. It was a great way to do something fun, but showcase that girls actually use their cookie money to support their community. And one of the ways they do that is by donating to animal causes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's stuff like that where somebody gives you the, the freedom to really kind of, you know, move the dial. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine, I mean, given how passionate you are about the work that you do and the fact that, um, you know, the job really spoke to you right off the bat, I would imagine that, um, you know, as far as the amount of time that you spend there and the hours, like, can you tell me, like, I'm, I imagine it's a, it's a fairly, <laughs> um, extensive amount of time, right? It's a very busy, busy role. Am I right? Yeah, it really is. Like, we're looking at about 60 hours to 70 hours usually, Mm-hmm. Um, right, right now. Um, and then during cookie season, oh, it's just insane. But, um, yeah, it's, it is, it's a lot of work because we, you know, we support t- over 25,000 girls across 17 counties mm-hmm. over, you know, 12,000 volunteers. There's a lot to be said about all the amazing things that are happening and you got to coordinate with, you know, luncheons and, cookie sales and PR for amazing things girls are doing and advertising and mm-hmm. um, just, just tons of different things. Every day, no day looks the same for me yeah. at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so then I'm curious because obviously given, you know, the, the, the topic of um, you know, of or one of the main topics for this podcast and the work that I do is just how does, how does self-care fit into all of that? And so I guess, you know, my question for you, given, you know, that we kind of know that you have a very high stress um, or very busy, lots of hours kind of job, how do you define self-care at this point mm-hmm. in your life? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sometimes, it, it gets pushed to the back burner a little bit and I don't want that to happen. So I, I try to, when I see that happening, I really kind of, you know, power, at, I don't know, double or triple the, the amount of energy to change that. Mm-hmm. So what I really try to do is at a minimum have one massage a month, mm. um, go to the chiropractor once a month, and go to acupuncture twice a month if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, to me, those are my non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. But when I say being pushed to the back burner, well, once upon a time, I made room for once a week massage, mm-hmm. for example. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So so I won't give up 
on any of those treatments because I feel they're really important to my physical body and my emotional sanity. Um, but sometimes they're more successful than others, I guess, is my yeah. point. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you, you've like, you've hit on a way to sort of scale it based on what is going on in your life rather yeah. than abandoning it. Yeah. And there's been times that my, God love my acupuncturist and my massage therapist <laughs> that there's like a crisis happening at the exact moment I get on their table and they let me, you know, use my cell phone to address something before I flip over or something like, you know, so sometimes <laughs> you have to make a little bit of concessions, but um, I try to be really mindful of, of keeping that separate, but you know, sometimes you can't. So you yeah, have to kind of yeah. find a way to work it all in together, right? Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. And like the, you know, skipping the kind of um, trap of all or nothing, because I think that, that that's a trap that I see a lot of women fall into. And and I love how you have, you, you sort of like exemplify how you can fit it in anyway. It may not be perfect, <laughs> but, that's, <laughs> but that's okay. And I'm curious, why is it so important to you? Well, because I know... Um, I know how I feel afterwards versus before I get those treatments, you know, and, and I come from a family of, unfortunately, we have uh, neck and back problems and my mother and my grandmother had it since I was little. And so mm -hmm. massage has kind of been a thing that I was always familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, when I was little and I had headaches, my Omi would give me massages that were phenomenal. And I thought, wow, what's this all about? And then I kind of got addicted from like almost like 12 on. And we, I used to get massages when I was a kid too. And so that was just sort of integrated, I think, organically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then acupuncture has been a recent thing um, that my massage therapist recommended someone she went to, and that was pretty transformative. So you, once you kind of get into that self-care world and you hang out with people who are in the know, I think a lot of times I just let them guide me. I mean, my, mm -hmm. my massage therapist introduced me to my chiropractor and my acupuncturist, and mm -hmm. she was just spot on with, you know, how perfectly they complement each other. So, yeah, actually, I love that because it's sort of like you, um, you took that one step and then you had like this one person who kind of became like the hub of the rest yeah. of your self-care, right? Like it just took that exactly. one contact. Yeah. That's a really great, that's actually a really great tip. I think for people like, you know, if you can just find that one person, um, and like you said, you know, spending time with just people in the wellness space, it kind of snowballs right. from there. Well, and it's hard to find the right person. So sometimes you might have to find a few wrong folks mm -hmm, first. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this, especially being in the Seattle area, there's just, it's just a gold mine with people who are, who are really in it for the right reasons and they genuinely want to see you get better and heal. And so they're really committed to you, which kind of helps you become equally committed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, I'm glad that you, um, that you said that because I think that, you know, and I think you're right. I think you have to like interview wellness professionals. Like, I mean, whether it's a, a, a you know, a medical doctor or a, an acupuncturist or a massage therapist, like, I feel like there's like an interview process, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. What do you, how do you, um, evaluate that actually might be helpful for people to hear? Like, what do you think is important when you're looking for someone like that? 
Well, and you know, you say interview process, and I'll just go ahead and say intuition process mm, as well. Yeah. Um, so it's really, you've got to get in front of the person, and you've got to feel a chemistry of some sort. Like, you, you kind of, I don't know, that's just, I, I rely on my intuition a lot. So I kind of know when it's the, the energy's a little off, then I know that it's not going to be, uh, I'm not going to sink into it the mm-hmm, way I should. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like meeting, to me, it's like meeting someone you know that you really want to be friends with, like you, the, the minute I met you. <laughs> you know, so like, <laughs> I know, it just felt like a good fit, right? Yeah. So that's kind of how I evaluate. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm glad you said that because I can be so cerebral sometimes. I'm like, yes, I have to interview them. And it's not really an interview. You're right. It's more of a <laughs> it's more of a feeling and an intuitive process. And like, and yeah, I mean, experiencing obviously, you know, somehow experiencing their their service before you fully commit and any any wellness professional will have some way yeah. for you to do that, any reputable one anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you you mentioned the intuitive process because yeah, I mean it's a very personal all of these things that we're talking about are very personal. Absolutely. And you're and you're kind of putting your health in someone's hands and mm-hmm. and your heart in some cases and so you know, you you want to know that it's that you've given it to the right person who I mean honestly these these people that I I I know are just they would do it for free if they could find a way to live. You know, that's how, that's how awesome they are. And so I feel like you can find someone like that in any type of modality that you, I mean, that you're looking for, whether it's a a therapist or, or an acupuncturist, you know, they went into that line of work for a reason and they want to support you. I coach powerful women on the rise every day. And one thing I see us all do is get in our own way sometimes, especially when it comes to eating healthier, exercising more, getting more sleep, and kicking the habits that make us feel less than powerful. And here's the rub. We often know we're doing it. We might even know why. What we don't know is what to do about it and how to fit that what into our already overbooked lives. That's why I created my free get out of your own way guide and online workshop. Give me 20 minutes and I'll show you exactly how to stop sabotaging your goals to eat healthier, exercise more, get more sleep, and kick the habits that have gotten you out of shape and out of sorts. So you can wake up every day feeling on fire for your life and have the vibrant, healthy, and confident career and life you really want. To get your free copy, visit laradolch.com slash free dash guide. So I'm curious. So obviously, you know, time um, time constraints are one of the challenges that you have with self care, as as many of us do. Is there anything? Are there any other struggles that you you know, or ways that you find that you sabotage yourself, or anything along those lines that come up for you when you're um, trying to prioritize these things? Yeah, I would say you know, um, I was just talking about this with someone today, and I realized that when I am overwhelmed um i'll forget sometimes to do anything meaning now we're going to get to the eating conversation i rarely forget to eat but i might (laughs) not i might not eat for several hours you know after i had thought i wanted to eat i might forget i'll forget to drink water all day i'll forget you know all my supplements that i take i'll bring them with me and i won't take a single one Mm -hmm. so i have to be really mindful of 
you know, that's just not sustainable and it's not okay to put that to the back burner just because I have six meetings back to back. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be a point where you're like, excuse me, I'm going to be a couple minutes late because I haven't had time to, to, to go to the bathroom, let alone take a pill, you know? Yeah. So, um, I'm still working on that. I'll be honest with you. I'm still working on trying to figure out, do I need to set reminders on my phone? Do I need to make a separate meeting that someone thinks is a real meeting, but it's really just a self-care meeting, you know? Um, which a lot of folks have told me that's something that they do that yeah. really works for them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's the creating space and drawing boundaries for sure. Yeah, I actually had a um, a client at Microsoft recently who was really struggling with that. And, um, you know, Microsoft is an infamously demanding workplace. And there was no, there was like, at least at first glance, there was no space in her calendar, but um, but she found it. Yeah, and, and she did exactly that. Wow. She put, she put... Um, you know, she basically extended the 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 buffer on the front and back of meetings so that she had, you know, five, ten minutes to, you know, like, you know, run to the bathroom or get some water or do some, you know, lunges or something in the conference room yeah. where she was trying yeah. to get exercise in. Yeah. Um, so I think those are those are all really, really smart things. Um what what do you think? I'm actually curious to dig in a little bit more, like the the sort of um my sense of what you were saying is that sometimes there's like almost guilt around like saying, no, you know what I need, I'm going to be five minutes late to that meeting because I need to do this. Is that, does that resonate with you? Is there a, is there a guilt around that? Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Because, well, it makes you, it makes me think others will think I'm not on time or Mm -hmm. forgetful or what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but when I look at a lot of my colleagues and I see them struggling with the same thing, I feel like maybe we have an opportunity for some important conversations that we can break down those perceptions a little bit. Because I I know that when I've said to somebody, you know what, I just, I just need five minutes. I just had four meetings back to back. And they look at me, oh my gosh, me too. Oh, thank you. Yes, let's wait five minutes, right? So I think um, it needs, it's a cultural shift. Um, that needs to happen as much as it is an internal shift, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I, I think I get this suspicion that if kind of if, if I model that behavior and maybe create a space for that, others may feel more comfortable doing that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I have to learn to not care what anyone may think and just be my authentic self and just be willing to be completely honest with where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I won't be any good to anyone. Right. If I'm not, if I'm pretending. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? How, so how do you, <laughs> yeah. Right. You're like, I don't know. That's the problem. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, I'm 40 now and you know, I've, there's something freeing that comes with that, even though there was a little fear around that, I'm not going to lie, but there is some freedom that comes from really knowing yourself more and speaking your truth more, more freely. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I don't want to say there's apathy involved. It's not apathy. It's just, I honor myself more than I did in my twenties. And I know how important it is to um, 
just kind of shoot from the hip instead of trying to pretend like I got it all together. Some days I don't. Yeah. Some days, yeah. you know, I just rolled out of bed and got in my car, you know, and it's, <laughs> that's all I could do, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. I'm so glad you said that because the whole perfection, you know, just like, I mean, we talked about it earlier with trying to be perfect around self-care, but I think it's just a generalized, um, trying to be perfect with everything. And to your point earlier about how, you know, if you say to someone in a meeting, you know what, I just need five minutes all more often than not, they say, Oh my gosh, so do I. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's that, you know, vulnerable conversations that we, um, we all should be having way more of. And so I'm trying to start that, I guess. Um, and, and another thing, you know, I mean, kind of silly, but another tactic I have is I don't um, buy clothing that needs to be ironed. Yes. <laughs> so <it's just> like, <laughs> totally. I have, right. When I have those days, I can just throw it on and it's not wrinkled and I don't have to worry about you know, one more thing to worry about looking perfect or whatever. Like I just, it, it really just doesn't bother me anymore. I guess the way it used to, um, because who, nobody's perfect, nobody. And, and we just be fooling ourselves to imagine that somebody is just because they're ironed and we're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Someone reminded me today, a client reminded me of, and I don't know who originally said it or exactly how it was said, but somebody effective, you know, you can't um, compare your, your inside to somebody else's outside. Like, you know, we are, we're always looking at what we see of other people's lives and saying, why don't I measure up? And you don't really know what's going on for them anyway. Um, Absolutely. That's really powerful. And so true. I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about um, what do you think about the concept of work-life balance? Do you think that exists? Is it possible? You know, I really do because you know I used to work at a university, and I remember they would tell me to get out at five p.m. if I was still in the office, and I'd come from advertising where I'd work till like nine p.m. You know, mm-hmm. and they were like, "No, no, go home, go home." And even at a university, I realized you can value that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a law school, so it was really, uh, you know, a lot of work, but they still valued it. And so by the time I came to Girl Scouts, they really value that here. And I feel very grateful. I mean, we've got, you know, a lot of moms here who are able to juggle picking up their kids or um, we have a room here just for pumping for moms who are, you know, recently had babies and things like that. And so there's just a lot of that built in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I have complete flexibility and freedom to also follow that. But I think just because of who I am and what I'm doing in my new role and all of that, I, I push myself a little bit more than I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely think work-life balance is achievable and completely possible. But what I've learned is it's, it's really, we dictate that. Yeah. We honestly dictate that, like whether or not we, we live that lifestyle or not, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I also think, you know, I often frame it a little bit differently as work-life integration. And I think that some of the things that we've talked about today are perfect examples of that about like, you know, for example, you're going to the acupuncturist or the massage therapist and yeah, maybe you need to take five minutes to reply to an email. And, you know, while that might not be ideal, it's at least um, getting you uh, access to the self-care that you need to, you know, to be successful. And um, you found a way to integrate the two, even if it's not yeah. um, exactly as you imagined it would be. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yes. Yeah. Integration. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So um, I am curious about, and this is a little bit off topic, but I have to ask you about it because I mean, so it's food related. So, but um, I noticed that you had done some schooling in pastry making, and this is very relevant to me because I recently got back from a trip to um, Copenhagen and Stockholm, and I became addicted to um, especially Swedish pastries. And I need to know about that experience. And if you can teach me how to make them. (laughs) Okay. So here's, here's my, my promise to you. I'll help you make them as long as it's not anything involving croissant dough. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, and I love that that's part of, you know, obviously you value self-care, you value your physical health and your mental health. And yet at the same time, you have like me, a, a deep love of the joy that food can bring to your life as demonstrated by the fact that you are a food writer and also a pastry maker, apparently. Yeah. And going to pastry school was one of the best experiences of my life. And that's where I learned that it is the hardest thing in the world to make croissant dough from scratch, unless you're like a bodybuilder. (laughs) You know, I really wanted to understand food really from the, from the deepest levels, you know, not just as a consumer who sits at a table and someone makes it for me. Um, and I had a, my mother's German and my father's background is Syrian. So I had so much wonderful, um, food growing up from, from both those cultures. And then, um, my dad worked for TWA and we got to fly free all over the world. So I, you know, we would have crepes in Paris or, you know, a baguette and cheese at the foot of the Eiffel Tower or, you know, cake in Switzerland. And I didn't even really know. For me, that was normal. I didn't know that that was shaping my life. And not only the way that I view food, but how I view different cultures and people and how they really intersect at the table. Yes. And how, you know, how important it is um, from a connective level and so it just it just became a thing. I just grew that love, and I just started um, writing for my college paper about food. And then eventually, I um, took a food writing class, and it changed my life because the teacher, and I'm going to just give him a shout out, Joe Bonwich. He is a culinary historian, and he's a longtime food writer in St. Louis who's just amazing. And he really saw that passion in me Mm -hmm. and he saw that I wanted to take it to the next level. And he's my mentor. He truly supported me in making that happen. And then um, thanks to his recommendation and a little bit, I always say polite stalking of the food editor at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I just (laughs) show up wherever she was until one day she was like, okay, I'll hire you. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's, you know, that started, what, 17 years ago. That was 17 years ago. Wow. 
I love that. So yeah, and I lo- I also I love what you were saying about the um, food as a as a window into culture because I mean that's exactly how I view it too. Like I travel for the food. I mean that is that is why I travel to a very large degree. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, yeah. My dad was like, did you go to any museums? I'm like, yeah, I went to a few, <laughs> but that's not why I was there. You know, so um, and I I, I just know. yeah. I mean, it's um, it really it's such a it's such a beautiful part of life and and. Um, it's part of what, you know, motivates me to help people have a healthy relationship with it because it's, it's such a joyful, it can be such a joyful part of life when you have that relationship with it. Um, so I just think oh, that's 100%. awesome. Uh, in terms of your passion for your food writing and then of course, and, and just your freelance writing in general, and then your work at the Girl Scouts, is there, is there any intersection there? Is there, yeah, I'm just curious, like how those two play yeah, off of each other. There is, and I'm so lucky. Um, I mean, obviously, we've got the cookies, right? And so I've been really, really um, fortunate that I get to integrate that um, by, you know, meeting and partnering with amazing women in the community who were Girl Scouts and who are pastry chefs and who, you know, who make things with our cookies, uh, phenomenal things. And this past year, um, I we started an event called cookies and cocktails where we invited a, um, you know, we invited yes, I do. and bartenders to make things with our cookies. And it was just really wonderful to see what they could come up with. And that to me is the most wonderful fusion of, of both of my passions in one place. So yes, I get to have that um, sometimes in my day job. And then I, it's so important to me and, then, you know, we were talking about self-care. And honestly, my writing is my self-care. Mm. Um, and I hadn't actually thought about that until we were yeah. talking. But but it is, yes, it's extra work. Absolutely. But it's work I really, really enjoy doing. So it doesn't feel like work at all. It feels like something I would do in my free time anyhow. Yeah, that's so great. That's, that's a that's a great example too. Yeah, of something that doesn't necessarily fall into the traditional like wellness self-care, but self-care is much bigger than that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And I'm curious, like in terms of your love of things like, you know, pastries and cookies and all that kind of stuff, like how does that balance with your need to feel well and healthy? Yeah, you know what? That's an excellent question. Um, and people ask me that a lot because I love dessert. So, um, <laughs> What I do is, you know, I don't, like you were saying, I don't have any guilt around food because I know that I, um, like, I believe everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. So I, when I eat something, I want to be present and I want to enjoy it. And so I don't want to feel guilty for it. So I find a way, like, I just made a giant black forest cake the other day and I, saved some for myself. I did have some for breakfast. I'm not going to lie. And then I, <laughs> and then I brought in the rest for my office, you know? And so I kind of, and that's the German in me too, really. Cause you can't make a small portion of anything and you have to share. <laughs> well, you know? and just the savoring piece of it too. I think that's really one of the big keys is like being mindful about your food in the sense that you're savoring it and, and really noticing it, the experience that you're having, you know, it's very easy to get into the trap of like, you know, scarfing food down as we're racing through life. And, um, you know, we know from research that slowing down actually really helps us, you know, manage our weight and, and manage our, our just general well-being um, when we do yeah. that. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I and I do try to balance that out with a lot of healthy, you know, organic vegetables and um, organic meat and, you know, that kind of thing. So I know that I'm doing good things for my body. And mm-hmm. when I when I bake, I also try to use really good products mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. I don't think I, so I'm not putting preservatives and chemicals in my system. I can feel even better about what I'm eating. And I also... I will say this, um, I'm sort of a non-traditional pastry chef in that I will typically use half the sugar mm-hmm. that any any standard recipe calls for. So not everybody wants to eat my sweets, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, but no, I, I would do the same thing because half the time you wouldn't even notice. I agree. I agree because it's, it's excessive, the amount that's of right. sugar in, mm-hmm. in most standard recipes. Completely, yeah. 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 Well, I, I need to, um, I need to try some and we do need to talk about, um, if you can help me figure out how to make these, uh, Swedish cardamom buns. Cause they're, I'm like, Ooh. Oh my gosh, they're so amazing. <laughs> but, but, but we'll, so we'll, we'll talk about that offline, but what's, tell me what's next for you. What are you excited about? Well, I would say this, cause this just happened. Um, I'm really excited. Um, well, I'm writing a lot of stories for Northwest Travel and Life in 2018. One of which is about a seal themed vacation on the Oregon coast. And that just tickled me it. to death. But, um, I just got some stories assigned for USA Today's new food section. So I, For the first time, yeah, I'm on a whole other platform. And that is, that's really, you know, I can tie that back to Girl Scouts in the sense that, you know, we tell girls you can do anything you want. You can be anything you want. You just have to believe in yourself and you have to keep trying. And here I am 40, you know, and I've tried a long time in my career and it's paid off because I put in the work and I'm really proud to say that, and I'm really proud to talk to girls and remind them of that because in this culture today, you know, everything's instant gratification, everything's immediate, and people forget sometimes about that good old-fashioned elbow grease and tenacity mm-hmm. and patience. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's your health, your career, your friendships, whatever it is, you know, that it, everything takes time for it to really... Um, blossom. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's, uh, that's such a great um, place to end and such a great message to, to put out there. Where can people learn more about you? Sure. StephanieEllis.com. And that's Stephanie with an F. Great. And I'll put that, uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It was so great to learn more about you and to hear about um, how you make it all work together. Thank you so much. I love talking to you. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit laradolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe in the iTunes store. If you liked what you heard, I so appreciate your reviews and recommendations because they help me reach as many women on the rise as possible. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul.
The Riveter is a work and collaborative space built for change makers. But it's not just a desk. It's a transformative movement for all women and allies to succeed. The Riveter is a movement because it believes that everyone can have a seat at the table and access to opportunities. The organization knows that wellness and professional development can be incorporated into the daily lives of working women everywhere. And the space and events are developed to support that. It's a co-working space with purpose. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle, and the momentum isn't stopping anytime soon. Next year, look out for a Riveter in Bellevue. Then the Riveter arrives in California and Texas. Stay up to date with them on Facebook and Instagram or at theriveter.co.